You may have played poker, but playing poker in Texas is a different animal. This is the Texas Poker Podcast with Tyler and Clint. Hello, this is the Texas Poker Podcast. I'm Tyler. This is Clint. What's up, y'all? And we are back with episode 105. Episode 105. So, have we got anything new for the... uh the podcast on this one we actually kind of do so um i guess some somewhat big news is so the texas poker podcast is actually sponsoring a pro boxer in some upcoming fight oh that's pretty cool so um it's actually michael rodriguez he's fighting june 17th for pcs paradigm combat sports and it's kind of interesting because we're actually going to be on his fight shirt and fight pants for the upcoming fight. He's, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, he's currently a pro boxer. He's undefeated 1-0 and right now, going ready for his second pro fight. Well, there we go. We're going to uh, – you said the, the boxer's name is Michael Rodriguez? Yes. Is he is he fighting in Houston? Uh, I believe so. I was – I could not find the exact location of the arena on Facebook right now, but I'm sure as it gets closer, they'll have the exact location. But – um, if you want tickets, just message us on Instagram, and I'll give you a link. Because how it kind of works in the fighting scene, if you um, have, if you've never been, it's an awesome time. But fighters get credit for people who show up and like say that they're going to see that person, right? But if you just show up on the event and just buy a ticket, they don't get credit, right? So you need to go through them for them to get credit that they're selling tickets. That's kind of how it works in fighting. Like um, upcoming fighting, like um, beginning pro and amateur. Okay, that's really cool. I'm glad you. Uh, I don't think that's something a lot of people would know. Who uh, you were pretty heavily involved in the fighting scene for a while, so that's uh, some good insider stuff to know. It's a because uh, I would have never known that. I would have thought like tickets are sold or tickets sold. So it's a good thing you mentioned that. Well, I made the mistake of uh, <laughs> just buying them at the door and got yelled at by one of the fighters before. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was kind of funny because Michael uh, or Mike, he was a amateur MMA fighter for a long time, fought a bunch of fights, he used to be a, um, I'm sure he still is a really good grappler as well. And it's funny because one time back in the day when we were training, we were like doing grappling and he had like a choke on me. Right. And I was like, well, he doesn't have it locked in. Like he has to move his body to the other side of me to finish this choke. So I'm not going to tap. Like, right. I'm just not going to tap. Like he can't choke me out like this. I'm bigger than him. One. I mean, I'm going to be fine. If it's something where I just, one of those things where you just kind of got to tough it out, I'm going to be fine. Guess what? I woke up on, unco- I woke up from unconsciousness. He choked me right out. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it was barely an inconvenience for him to choke me out. I was like, well, I'm just not going to tap. Well. Got put right to sleep. <laughs> so I'm glad this is a dude we're sponsoring now. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, but he is going, um. To make his boxing, his he is having a boxing fight though. His second pro fight, so he's now from amateur to pro. He was uh, when I was training with him, he was an amateur MMA fighter. Okay, but, very uh, very cool. I mean, what best of luck to him, and uh, hopefully uh, he can take one down. Wearing, I mean, he's wearing our gear, so I mean, hundred <laughs> percent, he's he's got this win locked up, right? I mean, I mean, if he wants to make some real money, I'd pay him just. Great money to beat you up, but I mean, one hundred percent. I've. I mean, this is the most unsurprising thing I've ever heard in my life. But you know what? 
He already did beat you up. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. He beat me up. I want him to beat up everyone on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I do but, not yeah. have the fighting background, so I'm going to stay right up out of that ring. <laughs> yeah. Well, best of luck to Mike, though. I just thought that was interesting news um, for this episode before we get into some of the hands this week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, super cool. Uh, I guess I can run through real quick. Like, I'm not going to go into hand histories. I'm just going to kind of say what happened here. Uh, they've been playing some high-low around Houston, and it's a game I do like. So I've just uh, was kind of playing a couple of those games. But I go into one. I was pl- wanted to play some No Limit. And it said No Limit on the Poker Atlas. I get there, and there's one PLO game. I don't really care for PLO. Uh I know everybody thinks is going to compare high-low and PLO. High-low is, it could not be a more different game. PLO has a gigantic amount of variance compared to Hold'em. High-low actually has less variance. So they're actually on opposite ends of the spectrum. But there's just one PLO game, and I'm like, I don't want to play. And I'm just going to wait for a Hold'em uh, table to go. But there's really, does not look like it's going anytime soon. There's an open seat. And I do feel like I have a slight edge in PLO against most players. At least around the Houston area, I'm not great, but just a very slight. I get stat. I uh, and do one bomb pot is the first hand I do, and have one board locked up. Have a very good hand, and a player hits one outer to stack me on there, and I get up and leave. I played literally one hand and got up and went crying out the door. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I mean. Let's talk about this just for a second, I guess, while I'm thinking about it. Because, or your story. I mean, I don't want to say there's nothing more frustrating because there's a lot of stuff that's more frustrating. But something that really kind of puts a bad taste in your mouth is whenever you look on the Atlas and see one thing and you show up and it's something else is going on. Because I've had this happen to me, not recently, luckily. Maybe a few months ago. I remember, God, at this point, God, six, seven months ago. But when I showed up for a Hold'em game, and I show up and it's just round of each, you know, I'm, I'm like, what? I mean, I only drove here for the Hold'em game. I, I mean, well, I actually, I, I don't want to say, I, you know, made a stink about it, but, I, you know, I laughed. I told him, I was like, well, this is only round of each. Do you still want to play? And I was like, I'll just leave. I don't want to just drive down the street, actually. So, bye. And yeah. after that, they um, haven't had the issue since. <laughs> but... Well- like, I think it's, well, like, from a player's perspective, I think it's, like, if it's an honest mistake, like, let's say it's a 1-3 table, and they immediately make it to round of each, and it's, like, five minutes before you get there or something. That's just something you that can't be helped or whatever. But sometimes you get the feeling they keep it as advertisement for something else, like, to get players to go there. And that's the frustrating part, right? Oh, for sure. But this was one where I was put on the list, you know, before I left kind of thing. And this was not one of those situations because they had two Hold'em games. They had none when I showed up. But I know, I do know what you're saying as well, yes. Um, And for you and I, we both live relatively close to most of the poker rooms. But could you imagine if we're driving, you know, for us, like Texas Card House would probably be the farthest one, I guess. You know, like just around here, that would kind of be an annoying drive. You know, if that yeah. if that happened, you had to make that forty five minute drive or hour drive, and just to kind of be disappointed. I mean, if it's taking you thirty uh, an hour to get to Texas Card House, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's. I mean, we live we live almost on the same side of town. It's like thirty minutes max. But yeah, yeah, I see, I see what I see what you're saying though. It's 
Well, I think most people play at game, the card rooms that are like 10 minutes away from their home. It seems like everybody who goes to the poker rooms are very kind of close by. But yeah, if you... Well, if you set a time, set aside, set aside time in your day to go and do something, and you're planning on that one thing, it is very frustrating. I mean, so like you say, with any drive or anything like that, you're you're, you're you still might be fighting traffic. You still might be doing all that. Uh, I will say, is the first time it's ever happened at this poker room, but is I don't hold it against them. But if it's a consistent thing. It would kill my. It would definitely kill my appetite for the poker room in general. So, uh, but I think that was the the kind of the tilting thing. It was like the one hand, two outed, and a game I really wasn't prepared to play and didn't really want to play. And like I say, my fault. I should have just if I didn't really want to play it, I should have just kind of set out of it. The uh, next day, I go to the same poker room uh, and play a high low game, and end up running top full house into quads, and the nut flush into a straight flush. So, kind of, like, I've been, which, no sad, I mean, definitely don't shed tears for me. I've run way above average this year. So, but it, that definitely brought me back down to uh, earth a little bit. I mean, it is weird whenever you're like, I'm going to go play poker, then 10 minutes later you call me, I'm done playing poker. I'm like, well, I haven't even finished my dinner yet, so I guess I'm not meeting you there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, agreed. I mean, definitely, uh... I mean, both days I was planning on meeting you there, and both days you called me and you were like, and I'm done. I was like, well, all right, what do you want to do now, then? <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, I have the... Well, I could never be addicted to gambling, because I know, like, everybody's like, well, you, you just get addicted and you chase your losses. I never get that feeling. Once I lose, not only am I not chasing my losses, I'm thinking about how I'm never playing again. I mean... Before I really got uh, interested in, you know, tracking my bankroll and all that, I mean, it would, every time I left, I'd be like, I hate this game. So it's a. Uh... I mean, I still think that sometimes when I win. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so those are, I was just, you know, those aren't really interesting hands because, I mean, this is going to be mostly a No Limit Hold'em podcast, but it's a, uh, I just wanted to, I try to be transparent with how I'm doing to the audience. So if I I didn't want to gloss I go over wins and just you know gloss over losses so <laughs> yeah well I mean anytime you just lose I mean two losing sessions I mean you got to talk about it somewhat right yeah <laughs> even if it was only make a combined ten minutes of poker play but <laughs> <laughs> yeah no kidding uh so the more interesting session is the one we played last night I thought we both had fairly interesting hands. On this session. I didn't have many interesting hands, but I did have two interesting hands. I thought both were very... They they were interesting as far as conversational pieces, because there's definitely different ways that could have been played. Because some of the... It's just like a cooler. If you're just coolering somebody, you're getting cooler. Not that interesting. But these definitely had uh, decision points that could have been different or played just several different ways. So uh, let's get into the first one of yours, because I like I say I think it's pretty good. All right, so um, let me. So okay, so the first hand I'm in the big blind with, sorry, small blind, with eight six of diamonds. We get how many limps would it be? We get three limps comes to me, and I'm debating about completing this for two dollars more. 
I'm like, well, it's probably not great because I'm really not deep enough to be playing this because I got hit with ace-king versus ace-queen whenever flop came queen high. So I'm really not deep enough to be playing this, but then it's only $2. So how, I was, how deep are you? Um, I was like 275. I like the completion here. I, I still completed, but I was just, in my head, I was like, I don't think this is the right move, but I complete big blind checks. I mean, so like from a lot of studying perspective, you'd have a lot of either raise or fold. And since you would never raise this hand, you would actually fold here. But in a actual live game where people are not playing correct ranges, 8-6 has a lot of different ways it can hit. Uh, I, I definitely like a complete here. I think I think it's positive EV to, to actually complete here. Well, I do. The flop comes... Jack, eight, nine, with two spades and a club. So I flop bottom pair. Not great. It checks through. Everyone checks. Okay. The turn is the six of clubs. Okay. This so is... now it's spade, spade, club, club, but the board is jack, nine, eight, six. So five, seven is a straight and ten, seven is a straight. Okay. I check it. It checks around to the guy on the button. He bets 25. He's shorter sack than me. And here's my... So there's some different ways we can go about this, right? We could either raise here with our two pair, which is kind of like we had talked about earlier, kind of the worst two pair we can have, obviously. And um, But my theory is on the raise is a lot of times I think he's going to have a 10 with maybe a flush draw or a pair plus flush draw or some sort of flush draw with a... I feel like this board is very draw heavy compared to made hands. Cause I feel like most pocket jacks, pocket eights, pocket nines raise preflop. Um, so my thought is to raise here, um, which I do. And I raise an amount that basically commits his stack. He only has about 150 behind. I make it a hundred. He goes all in. It folds, folds back to him. He goes all in. He calls, he has five, seven offsuit. Board doesn't pair for me. Um, I lose. But what we were talking about before is I don't – I'm torn if I like this play or not because when you make a raise of this size that commits someone's sack like this, you okay. kind of make it to where you're only getting snapped off by the straights. And I don't know if you're actually getting called by the pair in a flush draw or a 10 in a flush draw. When there's no implied odds here. That's so I'm kind of I'm torn on this hand what move I like more. What's your thoughts? Let me I'm gonna go one step before there. Uh did you think of just leading out on the turn? I I thought about it. Um I mean that probably was the better move. I mean, I definitely think so. Well, because I think now if – I mean, and granted, this is results-oriented after the deal. Uh, but if you lead out, everybody folds. He re-raises, and I think you can get away from this hand oh, at yeah, this definitely. point. I mean, you you have – I guess he could – I guess you could, in theory, also put him on, like, something like Jack-10 with a draw – with, a, like, pair open-ended or something like that. Well, not really because that would be – that would be betting the flop more often than not. So I mean, you might be able to get away from this hand if it's uh, it wants on his re-raise on the turn. 
Well, I mean, like we always say, those re-raises are, well, <laughs> normally so nutted. My re-raise, not so much. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you thought it was nutted. I mean, you had yeah. a made hand. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, for sure, hindsight, that was the better move. But that was just my thought in the moment that I wanted to try to get someone who had a, a draw to call with, you know, not really getting the right odds to call. Yeah, but. it's a... I mean, it's kind of a tough... Uh, and here's the worst part, is if I call that, the river was... I mean, I, I think it was like a 10 to where it would have put a four-liner out there, whatever. Or or was a nine counterfeiting my two-pair? It was one where I could have gotten away after seeing it, though. Like, if you yeah. would have shipped it all in, it's one that could have hit the muck for me. Right. I remember thinking... I don't remember the exact card, but I remember thinking it was definitely a card that would not have gotten stacks in on... Um, if I saw that river. I mean, it's tough because I think like 5-7 is the only hand he has here that beats you. Uh, it was limped around. Uh, and for the audience, I'm just going to go over it back one more time. Uh, you had 8-6. The flop was, you said... Jack 9-8. Jack 9-8. Uh, and the turn was a 6. 6. But there's two spades and two clubs out there. Yep. So... When you're looking at check raising here, he doesn't have almost any sets. Uh, most sets are gonna are we're gonna raise preflop, uh, and then, but there are a lot of two pair that do beat you preflop that would limp. It's so like ten nine off, jack nine off. Uh, but they would uh, you would hear from them on the, on the uh, flop, not really the turn. So. You're really only looking at 5-7, and I think you said 10-7 was 10, either 10-7 was a straight, yeah. So, at first, I did not like the check the check raise. I'm still not sure. I'm certain I love the check raise. I think I like leading out. But I will say, looking back at it, with so few combos that do beat you here, I think your check raise is probably fine, and you just ran into kind of a cooler here. Yeah, like I said, I think either way it's close, whether it be calling or raising. My like I said, my my theory was I put him on that exact board. I thought he was gonna be on a drawing hand more often than a made hand. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it just comes back and gets you, huh? Yeah, like I say, I mean, like I don't. There's not a lot of strong hands here. The way this is played, it really is only those two. So, I mean, you could definitely say you could just call there. It might be slightly results oriented. I mean, it all. I think you also could make an argument that this was overplayed as well, but it's. I don't know. It's pretty. I honestly think it's pretty close. I'm not certain it would matter in the long run what you do here. Really, I think it's going to be very close. Well, but here's the here's the probably what, what would you call it the um, the key hand of this session for me at least. Yeah. So now after that eight six disaster, I um, would teary eyes go and add on, and um. So first, I'm in the big blind. I get pocket sevens. I raise pre-flop. Limp to me, I raise. Completely whiff. Everyone calls. Flop comes king high. I fold. I was like, well, this is so such a bummer. The very next hand, um, I get pocket sevens again. Okay. I told you wrong. I was not in the big blind last hand. I was under the gun for this hand. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. But I got pocket sevens back to back, which was kind of like, well, these things better flop a set at some point. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I'm like, well, let's make it 15 again and just try the exact same thing. I like the race. Um, I get two calls. 
I get called from the person on my exact left and the button. So under the gun plus one and the button. Gotcha. Um, The flop comes seven, six, six with two hearts and a diamond. Okay. So you you flop a full house. Basically the nuts here. Yes. I check it. And the other person, and then it goes check, check. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense here for how this is. Okay, yeah. Uh, so you check it. Uh, and I'm not a advocate of slow playing. We'll, uh, I'll, we'll go street by street here. Uh, I do like this check because you have this board so tied up. I mean, you're really, once you bet here, you're really only hoping for like a random six that flop trips to your full house. Uh, and maybe eight, nine, and maybe a, another pocket pair. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I very much like this check on the flop. I told you wrong. The guy is in the small blind, not the button. Sorry. Okay. Because he acts first here because it would make no sense for me to go on with the story if, uh, without that information. Okay. So you're in middle position and yes. everybody playing. That's the main thing. Exactly. Um, the turn is the nine of diamonds. So now it's two hearts. Two diamonds again, but it's seven, six, six, nine now. Okay. And now the small blind bets 25. And it goes to me, I only call this 25. The person to my left then raises to 85. And now the small blind calls the 85. What are you doing here? Well, I guess, are you raising that 25 originally? Are you flatting what... I guess because you didn't even know they were going to raise yet. So I probably should have asked you um, after the 25. So, I mean, your call of the 25, I don't know how you made this just call without this raise. But it ends up working out just spectacularly well. Here's a theory on it, at least. Okay. In the moment. I'm not worried about any of the flushes coming in, obviously. Okay. I'm not worried about... um, I mean, I'm almost not worried about anything, right? 100%. Yeah. I, I don't believe you need to ever raise here for protection. Yeah. Um, so I kind of want them to make their hands here. Uh, so I'm definitely not trying to deny equity with a raise. And here's the other thing. I'm not that deep because I didn't add on for a full. I mean, I only added on for 300. And I only had 350 in my stack. But you still, I mean, you still have to almost raise it here, right? To get it in at some point, right? Yes, but I... I still thought I could get that rope that next person in. Well, I mean, like I say, it worked. It worked like a freaking charm because not only did they did you ruffle men, but that with that raise, just I mean, to reopen the pot, then a call. Uh, once that, well, you know what? Six. So she makes it 85. He calls. Shit, I might be calling here, actually. Because uh, once you call this, the stack is committed, right? Mine is. They're deeper than me, but mine is. Yeah. So, I mean, if you call this, you probably have, what, like 200 behind? Because it would have been 85 and then... Well, I mean, it would be 85 this. It was 15. You said it was started with like 300, right? 350. A little bit over 350. Okay. 350, 375. So, 50, okay. So, you call this. 
you would have about 250 behind. Yeah. And the pot is going to be one... It's going to be... You're going to have about a pot size bet. Yes. So... I mean, because I will use these sometimes just to inflate the pot when I'm really not worried about it. And then, like, once it's 240 and I jam that river, I mean, anybody's going to have every odds to call at that point. Uh, I'll kind of, I will call here sometimes and just kind of like, it's, it's basically my all in, but I inflate that pot a little bit to make for an easy jam on the river sometimes. Mm. I did raise all in here though, which is obviously is fine. I mean, yeah. it's definitely definitely not a bad thing to raise all in when you've gotten this much action. And I think most people would actually suggest it. I would say raising all in would be the more conventional way. I would say probably flatting is a little bit less conventional. Yeah, definitely. I would say I'm probably raising here eighty to eighty five percent of the time. That's probably yeah. what I would say. Um, but your your theory is sound. I like it as well. But I would also kind of wanted to make it. I mean, I don't know why I always say this. I want to make it look like I could be right. I mean, squeezing all that stuff. It's always the nuts, it seems like, right? I well, mean, I mean there's never this. a bluff here, right? That's what I'm I mean, yeah. I mean, for this to go a, a bet, you call, her to raise, and get a call from there, there's now, this is either you overplaying your hand, because there is now zero bluffs here, uh, which is why I will call sometimes. Uh, but that being said, when you're this strong, you're just looking to get it in against people who have also strong hands that can't fold. That was kind of my thought. I was, I mean, again, this theory just is, seems like such garbage, but I'm trying to also not lose action if like a random spade comes. I'm also hoping that maybe they think that they're getting live with their flush, you know, but I do get, so let me, I guess I'll let me finish the handout though. Okay. Um, the original razor folds. The guy in the small blind calls, and he shows a six, and um, I double up. Yeah, that's a. Uh, it was a very well played hand because I thought it was very unconventional. Well, leading out on the flop, I guess that's going to be like fifty fifty. Uh, some, like I think you could definitely bet small there sometimes. I think sometimes I probably do that, although I think the check is actually probably better. I think sometimes I go into automatic mode and just bet small because that's what I do with a lot of hands, and I do with a lot of misses there. I would also do that with ace high there. So, uh, but you just flat calling that turn bet just was, I think, extremely unconventional and worked out very well. So, I mean, it was definitely reading the situation right. Because usually when that's a check and a bet, I'm usually thinking that person to my left is not, is basically checked out of this hand. But uh, knowing whatever that she, that that person was either going to call or raise was a huge deal. So, that's a, I thought that was very, kind of unconventionally played and you got the absolute most out of it. Nice. Well, still end up managing to lose that session, so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, everybody's got talents. <laughs> yeah, uh, that uh, it was really that eight six hand that really sunk me. But at least that uh, pocket sevens hand made the, made a comeback to a minor loss instead of just a disaster. So, yeah, that's true. I mean, like I say, sometimes just you know coming back from a major loss, not to, to hit that disaster, is kind of a win. Uh, this was I got into uh, quite a few interesting spots here. I mean, it seemed like you were just mixing it up. <laughs> 
all session. I'm sitting here bored out of my mind. I was playing chess nonstop. And that, every time I look up, you're three betting, you're three betting, you're raising, you're calling. I'm like, what is possible? Like, all you're doing is not folding. I was yeah. like, what is going on on that side? I was like, you know that feeling whenever there's two seats open and uh-huh. I get my seat and I'm over there watching you just have the time of your life, apparently? Oh, yeah. I'm like, man, I'm like, I picked the wrong seat today. Uh, <laughs> they were all pretty good hands, too. I was, I definitely was not card dead this session because really very few of them were like getting out of line. There were some. You're going to hear a couple, but not almost all of them were just really good hands. Uh, the first one, I get pocket queens. And I make it 30 from late's position with a straddle. Uh, so it's a 1-3, straddle to 6. And I think there was probably one or two calls there, and I make it 30. I'm so happy to see you making it 30 now instead of 20 and 25. You know what? I, I mean, I've been preaching definitely... it for months, and you finally are doing it. And, I mean, it just it works so much better, I think. Oh, it does. Because, I mean, you're getting you're still just getting the calls. I mean, okay. it's just... Uh, and to say, you know... Exactly what happens, three call when it's 30. Uh, and oh, I mean, I know. I mean, that's my whole theory on that exploitative bet sizing is, I mean, you can size up because you're for sure going to get called. So why not, when you have these great hands, make it bigger? Oh, 100%. Uh, eight, the, the, I get a horrible flop for this <laughs> for this bet. I mean, I've now made it 30. We now have 120 in the pot, and the flop is ace, nine, five. So... In these four-way pots, a lot of times I am just done with it. Here's the really good thing is I'm in late position, and most people check to the the preflop razor. So it checks to me, and I just check behind. And there was a spade draw on here as well, I believe, right? There's two spades, yeah. yeah. Uh, the turn is a queen. So I just hit the crap out of the turn. It's uh, not not the queen of spades either. It's uh, It does not complete the flush draw. It's uh so then then to make it even better a player then leads out for fifty into me another player calls the fifty comes to me I'm so strong here a lot of times I'll make it like two hundred here but I just make it one fifty trying to give odds for someone to call here I normally am sizing up here after getting that call behind um. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, I yeah, mean it's, it's one of those that, I mean, I'm just trying to rope them in. Because, it's, again, I'm, if they call this, whether I make it bigger or not, we're getting stacks in on the river. So, it, it kind of ceases to matter, right? Uh, I'm, I like to make it bigger. I mean, here's always just my theory. I like to make it bigger on these flush draw ones just to um, – hopefully price in the draw for a little bit more expense, a little bit uh, higher price. But the, like you said, I mean, you basically have, you know, the nuts here, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not too worried. I, I'm more worried about uh, getting players into this pot than I am about guarding against the flush draw here. Uh, but I make it 150 and it ceases to matter because the player goes all in. Uh, obviously I make the call and I'm, and basically tell them I basically have the nuts here unless it was super slow played aces. Uh, and I flip over queens, he flips over nines, and I agreed to run it twice, and it holds both times. So, I mean, not the most interesting hand. I mean, it's just I turn set over set, just the biggest cooler ever. I mean, super good news for you, though. Oh, great for me. <laughs> Loved it. Uh, so, 
this one is kind of a weird hand here. Uh, it limps to me on the button. We're kind of shorthanded. We're playing like seven-handed, maybe. But you are deep. I mean, that's the other thing. After that set of reset, you're pretty deep here with most of these players. Yeah. It limps to me. I go ahead and attack the limps on the button with ace-nine off. Uh, I make it 20. The small blind calls and uh, two others call. The flop comes ace-king-5. I lead out for 30. So probably just a little more than a third pot. The small blind calls. So I have ace nine. The flop is ace king five. Uh, then the turn is a three. Kind of a blank. Like, well, I can still get value here. I bet 100. He re-raises to 200. Oh, I didn't know this is what you had in that hand. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, this this now makes all sorts of good sense. <laughs> Whenever you were like, I'm just going to let you have it and things. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is definitely a good fold. So I just fold. I'm, this player, I think, is a fairly decent player who studies. I don't think he's going to turn. There's not that many bluffs here that are, I mean, there's really no draws to turn into bluffs. There's no. I mean, here's the other thing is he also gave you a great price, which definitely doesn't reek of a bluff. Yeah, very true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that went through my mind too. It's like, what is? Why would this ever be a bluff? Giving me, you know, a min raise here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is going to be something like the sets, the two pairs. I mean, this is going to be. I mean, just absolutely, like you said, just absolutely smoke your uh, ace nine here. I mean, it's going to be. It's one of those that. It it's kind of a tough. I mean, this is super exploitative. I don't think you should be folding this like aside from exploitative reasons. Because, I mean, he doesn't have aces. I have all the aces. I have all the kings. I have all the ace-king. But he knows that as well, and it's still laying you a great price. That, that's my thought here, <laughs> is uh, is this just seems like some type of set. I mean, I think, I'm not sure he even does this with like ace-queen or something like that. It seems like a two-pair or better. I know that anytime I ever make this call in low-limit poker... It just seems to be the nuts. I mean, this seems like he's literally setting a trap that you watched him set up and trying to get you to walk into it. I mean, this seems like super easy fold here. Yeah, so I, I end up making this fold. I just like, I mean, ace nine off. I mean, super awkward though, right? <laughs> Whenever you get laid such a good price just to fold. Like, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, well, I, like say, the, I know like there the were not way. a lot of weird, there were just a ton of weird. There's no, like, good bluffs there. I just, I don't know what I'm at. It, here's the problem. If I find it weird is what I don't know what I'm folding to. But, I mean, just this action is so strong that, I mean, because. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, I mean you're yeah. just smoked here every time. But I'm just saying, it's just always a weird thing when you get, like, you see the men click and someone still folds. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, trust me, it felt weird at the moment. But uh, I mean, it looked super weird. Yeah, it was. <laughs> but once now, I know you're holding and everything. I mean, it it all makes good sense to me. But it's just it was just weird watching that hand play out. Yeah, uh, this is another. This is gonna be another interesting hand too. Uh, you did see this one play out. So I have Ace Knight of Clubs. The straddles to six. I raised to twenty from the big blind, so fairly early position. I could probably make this more. 
mean, like I've been saying for six months. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's I mean, a, even longer, really, but go ahead. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a—I mean, I find it weird raising from the big blind uh, on these straddles because, I mean, you're you're kind of like—it's just kind of weird for everybody else to come in with, with like, crappier hands because they have nothing invested. They don't have the $6 invested. But, I mean, I could have probably made it 25 20 is probably fine, too. I don't think it matters that much. Uh, I raised 20 from the big blind, and the, only the straddle calls. The flop is jack-8-10 with one club. So I have ace-nine of clubs. I flop open-ended uh, with the backdoor flush draw. I bet 15, kind of a a small bet that I'm usually going to make in these pots, and I get re-raised to 60. Hmm. We're both deep enough, I think, to make this call. I think I'm definitely calling here, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, you have a ton that you can continue on. I mean, yeah, I definitely like a call here. I mean, it's kind of a big re-raise here. Uh, trust me, all that's concerning. But I still think, I mean, you guys were like 800 effective, right? Uh, Yeah. I mean, so I think I'm definitely calling here. So I call. Like I say, I mean, there's just too much equity I think I can turn here. Uh, turn is a king. I mean, it's a blank for me. Yes, that's not great. Yeah. Uh, so, and it completes the front front door flush draw. So at this point, I'm kind of done with the hand. Uh, it goes, but it goes check check. Hmm. The river's a six. Once she checks this king, it to me this is this kind of caps her hand big time. I don't think she ever has a straight, and I don't think she ever has a, fl a flush. So I think this king is probably a worse card for her than it is for me. I choose with not much showdown value at all, and what I think is kind of a bad run out for her, I bet 140 on a... Well, it's her all-in, right? Definitely not her all-in. She definitely oh. has way more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I lost yeah. focus in that hand. <laughs> Tyler's like, y'all are 800 deep. I bet 140. Tyler's like, she's all in. <laughs> uh, so I bet 140, and she tanks for a long time. Uh, and ends up calling with a two-pair, Jack A. I don't mind this bluff. I definitely don't mind the bluff. I mean, I thought it was I mean, probably well played all throughout. Um, did do you ever think about betting the turn? Well, no. I mean, I don't know. I think it's fine all around. I mean, it seems like it was just one of those ones that was played well and you lost. I mean. I think so. I mean, this is one of those that I don't mind losing in bluffs like this. Because if I'm betting 140 here, I'm going to have more made hands than I do bluffs here. And if I'm getting called here, then I'm getting called like when I have all my made hands too. So, I for this to be profitable... She was in kind of the a horrible spot with where she was at. And, you know, I mean, I put a lot of pressure on a hand like this. Like, this is, this is the exact kind of hand I'm targeting. So, Isn't that always such a bummer whenever they have the hand you're targeting with your bluff and they still call? My God. But, yeah, <laughs> I mean, good call for her. Well played by you, I thought. I mean, I just thought it was just, I don't, it just kind of is what it was at that point. But. Yeah, I mean, there's like one of those things when I have low, sh when I do not have a lot of showdown value and they show weakness, 
uh, I just kind of got to pounce. Yeah, that's kind of my thing. So, and I would have played a flush this this exact same way. I probably play like some sets this mm, Jack Eight Ten. I definitely play like Jack Ten the same way. So it's like I say, I don't really mind this. I'll, I'll have more value than I do there, and hopefully, I get called when I have value. Uh, but I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought it was a good bluff that didn't work out. And I think sometimes it's easy to say just, you know, just because it doesn't work, it was bad. I think this is one was, it was just variance here. Uh, I say, I, I'm waiting for the hand, that <laughs> the big hand of the night that you're going to break out. Oh, this is definitely, I mean, this me, is... And you, me and you went back and forth on this hand. Uh, I have thought I played it dead well. Then I thought I played it like shit. And I actually had to, I ran it through uh, say, some of the pro, like the pros at uh, the Crush Live Poker uh, Discord, and I kind of know where I should have where I should have gone on this one now. Hmm, I wonder if we're even talking about the same hand then. One hundred percent the same hand. Uh, the ace ace queen, right? Yeah, you thought you were. Uh, well, go ahead, break it down. I mean, I would love to know where you think you should play it differently, but okay. I mean, uh, given his action, people said you should have played it differently. Yeah, it's. I don't think it's even debatable once you, once you hear it. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, <laughs> so I have Ace Queen. Uh, it's not suited. The Queen of Hearts will come into come into play here. I raise to str- to twenty after a straddle. I get three bet from a very tilted player to fifty. Uh, this guy has just he got one outed and just kind of lost his mind for a sec. I mean, more than a sec for a long time. But. Yeah. He's still losing his mind. Uh, uh, obviously, even from a non-tilted player, getting these odds with a hand as strong as ace-queen, I'm just going to call. Uh, but especially from a tilted player. So the flop is 2-3-5 all hearts. So I flop obvious overs. Uh, I have the queen of hearts for a flush draw. And I have the ace for a gutter ball to a straight draw. He bets 100. I think I'm too strong here to fold. There's a lot of things that have me in really bad shape. Like if he has ace-king with the king of hearts, pocket kings with the king of hearts, then I'm in horrible shape here. But I still think I'm a little too strong to fold, Especially, although this is a very big bet. It's a pot-sized bet. I make the call. Turns the jack... He goes all in for 140. Not the Jack of Hearts. Yeah, not the Jack of Hearts. I, I end up kind of hemming and hawing, and I call. And I end up, yeah, he has Jack Jack turn to set, and then I river the straight. So later I'm thinking, well, how many outs do I think I have? I mean, this 140, I'm only getting. About was 100 to the flop, 300, 440. So I'm getting about one to four. One, wait, no, that's not right. 150, 300. So I'm getting one to three odds here. I mean, there's a lot of things that have me killed. Because me and Tyler w- went over it, and I was like, well, I think, it, did I play this okay? And we're like, yeah, I think so, the way it played out. 
Yeah, I mean, you, obviously the straight, but I mean, I just like, the way you, it, the way each player played it. So you won. It but, had to be good. But yeah, I won, so it had to be good. Later, I was like, I don't think I have the odds to call this river. And so I, I ran it through, and then almost everybody said that I should be jamming the flop here. Hmm. That's interesting. And I think 100% I should be jamming the flop here. Uh, this is one of those hands where... If I jam the flop here, I'm going to get ace-king to fold a lot if he doesn't have the ace-king, ace or king of hearts. Uh, when I get called, I'm going to have a sh- ton of equity almost every hand. So I actually think that's definitely the move once I, once I heard it said. Some people said that I could be jamming pre-flop here. I think I that's I, a little too much. I, I don't know if I like that. I mean, I think that's I think coming gonna, from players who play higher stakes, where yeah. players are three betting a little bit lighter. I was about to say you're gonna hate what calls you in a one-three game. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of my thought too. Uh, I don't really know what I'm because I'm mean, at that point when I jammed there pre-flop. I don't know if I mean, I definitely it's not for value, and that's not no, really a bluff. I don't. I don't like that. I I hate that. But let me let me go back to what they were saying about going all in on the flop. So he bets a hundred. I guess he only had a hundred and forty behind. Right. Yeah, they're right. They're right. Yeah, you should I be mean, jamming. Yeah, I mean, I think if it was deeper, I like the call, right? But given the stack size, yeah, it's for sure a jam. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that's for yeah. sure the better move, 100%. Yeah, yeah that was kind of like once, once I read it and saw it and realized, you know, the equities versus what I was up against, it just, it was very, like, I, I mean, it's one of those things when you're in it, like playing a chess game, sometimes when you're in it, you don't see the right move when you're watching someone play. I mean, I it's was it. watching. I thought you played it well. I'm like, I thought, I thought everything you played was well. Um, but yeah, isn't it interesting how much better some people are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, like, yeah, because once they say it, it's just easily the right move. I, I, I don't even like say. I don't even think it's debatable on the floor. Well, I mean, I, I knocked it around for a while, gave it a good long think, right? And I was like, I thought everything. I that never even occurred to me. Yeah. To end up. Uh, Shipping it there. But, yeah, I mean, definitely that's the move. So, no, I don't know why I didn't. Never occurred to me either, and I'm not certain why. Uh, I ended up in the – I was in the game for 400 out for 920 so ended up with a profit of $520. Uh, so, not a bad night. Uh, made up for some of my uh, earlier this week, so kind of a nice, nice here's, little night. Here's the thing. This weekend even over. We have a – here in a few hours, we're about to meet a listener and go play at 101 Katie. So, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that'll be a really cool experience. So I'm looking forward to meeting one of the listeners and playing over there at KD101, where we always have a good time. It's one of the favorite play, one of the favorite places in town. Well, I guess on that note, when we come to you next week, we'll let you know how that session went. But do you have anything else to cover? I think that's it. We'll- All right, we'll talk to you next week. That was the Texas Poker Podcast. Go ahead and rack up. Add time, and we'll see you next week.